Welcome to the Rocky Valley Podcast. This is Pastor Jason Moe. We're glad you stopped in to have a listen, and we hope that this blesses you in some way. Well, good morning. Anybody else get nervous during that special music? That got me tore up. I don't see how you do that, Roger. My fingers still feel like jelly. Judges chapter 3. Judges chapter 3, verse 31. The title of this morning's message is Ox Gold Warfare. Ox Gold Warfare. Before we get started, how many people in the house know what an ox gold is? This will be a good morning. If you don't learn nothing about the Bible, you'll at least learn something about farm implements. So, This morning we have the pleasure of diving into really just one verse of scripture together. And I say we have that pleasure because usually I preach through several verses of Scripture. And so surely if we're just doing one verse, I know you're thinking, surely it will be a shorter sermon. What can he possibly say about one verse of Scripture that would keep us here as long as he normally does? And to your response, I would say I can say a lot about one verse of Scripture. So this morning, though, we get to look at something. And I've actually been studying on this verse for a few weeks now. Uh, and here's why that I, I've been studying on it for a few weeks. Uh, I heard a guy's name mentioned by another pastor. Uh, he, he put it on Facebook and he said, Bet you've never heard of Shamgar. And to be completely honest with you, I remembered the name Shamgar, but I couldn't remember much about Shamgar. And so I went back and I began to study Shamgar and I thought, Wow, there's not much going on with Shamgar in the Bible. I just don't have a lot to go on. But the more that I began to study uh, around this particular verse where he's mentioned, the more I began to see about the significance of Shamgar uh, and his time and his mention in the Bible and the things that he did during his time as a judge of Israel. Now, we don't know a lot about Shamgar. We don't know a lot about his father. We don't know a lot about his mother. Uh, we don't have a lot of information at all. But one thing we do know is that all Scripture is given for reproof, reproof and rebuke, and so it has a purpose for us. This verse and the mention of this man Shamgar has some purpose for us today. And so as we begin to unpack this, I hope that by the end of the day, uh, we don't necessarily know a lot more about Shamgar, but I pray that we know a lot more about Shamgar's God. Because essentially, that's what's important with the life of Shamgar, is that we would take it and that we would look and see who the book is about anyway. Who's this verse about anyway? It's not about Shamgar. It's not going to be about the ox goat. It's going to be about the God of the guy with the ox goat. And at the end of the day, if you think about it, isn't that what really matters about any of us? At the end of the day, if they wrote the one verse about your life, if you managed to live a life in such a way that in the annals of history there was one verse written about you, wouldn't the important part of that verse be what did the sovereign King Jesus do with his or her life? What did Jesus do with your life? When they read the one verse about you, what do they deduce about your God? Not what good things did you do, not what did your family look like, not who was your mother, not who was your father, but positionally with God. What did God do with your life in your one verse? If we would live a life that, that at the end of the day there was even one verse given to us, what would it say about God and what he did with our lives and what we did to honor him? And now let us stand 
this morning as we honor the reading of God's holy, infallible, and inerrant word. And as we do this, each week I say, let's stand as we honor the reading of God's holy word. But it, it hit me this week something that, that I'm not sure we allow to sink in. So when I say let's stand in honor and reverence of the holy word of God, I am saying essentially no less. Let us stand as we open up the book that we believe to contain no less the words of Father God. These words are not just words on paper that we stand in honor of the reading that Tyndale Press put a book together. We're reading the fact that God himself spoke these words onto these pages. So let us keep that in mind as we read from the word of God. Judges chapter 3, just one verse, verse 31. And after him was Shamgar, the son of Anath, who killed 600 men of the Philistines with an ox goad. And he also delivered Israel. Let us pray. Father God, bless our time, Lord Jesus. God, we know that you are holy, Lord God. And we know that apart from you, nothing happens this morning, Lord Jesus. But God, with your Holy Spirit, we pray that you would rain down upon us and change our lives as we study your word, God. And that we would deal with the things that your conviction leads us to this morning and leave this place truly changed from the way that we came in, Lord. And it is in your blessed heavenly name that we do pray. And all God's people said, Amen. you may be seated. And now as we dig into the little we know about Shamgar, let us look first at the time of Shamgar. Let us look first at the time of Shamgar. Now, the time of Shamgar was an unsafe time. Now, as we said already, there's some mystery to the name Shamgar. Actually, the name Shamgar appears to be what we would believe to be a Canaanite name if you look at it. You say, wait a minute, brother, you mean to tell me that one of the judges of Israel was a Canaanite? You mean to tell me that, that one of the, the men who had been cursed and one of those who had been condemned to die, a Canaanite, you mean to tell me that God would use someone who was condemned to die to be a judge and a deliverer of his people? Yeah. I would say, yeah, absolutely. Because listen to me just for a minute. I was condemned to die. You you were condemned to die. And so in as much as Father God chooses to do anything with my life or anything with your life, he's using someone who was cursed and condemned to die apart from his will. So yes, I believe that Shamgar may have very well been of Canaanite descent and still risen to be one of the judges of Israel. But over in Judges 5, we have to turn over to really start to see something about, this thing's killing me. Is it killing anybody else? In Judges 5, we see a victory song of Deborah. Now, Deborah is the woman judge. Those of you ladies in the house, Deborah is your girl power rally cry, okay? Deborah, chapter 5 of the book of Judges, records her victory song, and it's a big deal for ladies. She was our first lady judge. And she came to power after the days of Shamgar. And here she has a song of victory. In verse 6, we see that she mentions the time of Shamgar. And let's hear what she says. Chapter 5, verse 6. In the days of Shamgar, son of Anath, in the days of Jael, the highways were deserted. The travelers walked along the byways. 
And so what she's saying, as she, she says, in the times of Shamgar, in the days of Shamgar, the people were forced to travel on the back roads. That's what she's saying. They, they couldn't use the highways. They had to use the back way to get there. So, so let, me, let me break this down for you. Essentially, it would be like if I came to you and I said, I need you to go to Knoxville, Tennessee today. I need you to go to Knoxville, Tennessee, but you're not allowed to use Interstate 40 and you're not allowed to use Highway 70. And that's how you're going to get there. Okay, I want you to stay off of those two roads. You, would you could get there, right? But you'd have to take some byways and backways. There may be a few river crossings you'd have to swim. But you could get there, but you couldn't go on the main road. But what I want us to understand here is, is that they weren't traveling the back roads because it was convenient. You know, there's times on my way to Nashville that I'll jump off and take a back road because the interstate's backed up. That's not why they were traveling the back roads in the days of Shamgar. They had to travel the back roads because the Philistines, those mighty Philistines, would lay in ambush in all of the roads that would lead where they were going. And as the Philistines would see a Christian or an Israelite coming, they would, they would come out and they would rob them and kill them and they would take their stuff and they would pillage and, and plunder. And so it just wasn't safe for a Christian to be out in the open. If you were a Christian and you went that way, you were going to have to hide, essentially. And so what does that mean to us today in our time? I said all scripture is given for reproof and rebuke. So, so what could this mean? Well, I don't know about you, but I would certainly say that, that we are living in a day-to-day -day where if you stand up vocally, if you stand up publicly, if you let it be known that you're a Christian and walk among the popular highways and byways, somebody's going to notice. Somebody's going somebody's to get upset at you. Somebody's going to ambush you. Somebody's going to see you coming because you're coming out loud and proud for Jesus. They're going to see that, and they're not always going to react in a positive manner, and sometimes it's going to feel like an ambush. You know, the culture today doesn't really seem to mind Christians that huddle up and keep to themselves, do they? Everybody says it's okay as long as you just huddle up and keep to yourselves and shut up unless you're talking to one another. We can gather in our building here and we don't really seem to offend anybody by just coming to church. I don't know of anybody who's ever come to me, whether they be atheist or agnostic or Buddhist or Hindu or more. Nobody's ever gotten upset at me that we have church and come to church together. Nobody, no, no liberal agenda has ever been thwarted by the people of God coming to the... They don't get upset when you come and huddle together and gather together. They don't get upset when we hunker down like monks and pretend that the rest of the world doesn't exist. They don't even get upset if we gather in each other's homes and talk about our faith with one another. That's okay too. You're allowed to talk to other Christians about Jesus. But don't take that mess anywhere else. It's Tuesday morning. We don't want to hear that at the office. Don't bring that up in this school. We don't want to hear about Jesus in this school. Don't you know that there are laws that prohibit you from doing that, teacher? Don't you know here in this workplace you could offend someone's civil liberty by talking about Jesus Christ and mentioning that he may be your Savior and Lord? Don't be talking about this here. Don't, 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 don't you use your voice to praise God anywhere outside of church or in your small group time with your community of believers. People get uncomfortable when you do that, don't they? 
People start to take notice when you start to praise Jesus outside the church. When you start to do something and say, I did it because Jesus loves me. I did it because Jesus saved me. I did it because he, he delivered me and he can deliver you too. I, I mean, we see extreme cases, don't we? We can turn on the television. We can see, you know, where over in Libya or somewhere else, the, the Muslim culture will behead somebody for being a Christian and make a, a video out of it. We see where our missionaries over in Korea or over in Vietnam or over in Honduras, we see where they get punished for speaking about Jesus. And you say, well, brother, that, that just applies to, 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 to way back then. No, that, that applies to now. Did you know that today, probably right now, there are Christians somewhere in this world who are facing death just for being Christians? This is not the times of the Bible. This is the times of 2017. Right now, there are people that, that can't say they're Christians safely without being beheaded and without being uh, taken apart. He said, well, nobody's looking to chop anybody's head off here, preacher. Nobody's looking to do that in America. Stick your neck out and see if it don't feel like somebody's trying to chop your head off. Huh? Stick your neck out there just a little bit about Jesus. Maybe they don't have a real life machete to your neck, but they're laying in ambush on the roadways waiting on you to do something so that they can jump on you. I mean, go back to work and speak about what Jesus did in church today. Just go back to work and talk about the song service. Go back to work and tell them how God was magnificently lifted up during the song service. Talk to them about how the word of God was preached. Talk to them about how you learned something about Shamgar. Talk to them about something that happened in church and see if people don't get uncomfortable. Do it enough times in a row and see if they don't wait and ambush you. Wait on you to slip so they can say, oh yeah, there's that Christian. There he is. There's that true Christian color coming out. The one that loves Jesus. And there he did, lost his temper and punched his desk as hard as he could. And he said he's supposed to love Jesus. The result that I'm afraid we've come to in this culture where it ain't cool to be a Christian anymore. This is one of the first ages since the early church where it, it, it's so uncool to be a Christian now. It's not the norm to go out and be a Christian. In days 20, 30, 40 years ago, if you weren't a Christian, you were in the minority. And if you weren't a Christian, you pretended you were because you didn't want to be in the minority. But now, it seems to be a badge of pride to say that you don't believe in God. It seems to be something that makes you seem enlightened or more intelligent to say that you don't believe in God the way that the Christian does. And I think the result of living in a culture where it is absolutely fine to believe in anything you want to except for Jesus Christ. I mean, it's fine to believe that you can marry a roller coaster, but it's not okay to believe that the God of the Bible spoke down what we wanted to do. It's fine to believe you're a girl if you were a boy, or a boy if you were a girl, but it's not okay to believe that you were perfectly and wonderfully made, crafted by the Father God who loved you before he knew you. Right? It's, it's not okay to believe in the exclusivity of Jesus Christ. It's okay to say there are many ways to heaven and Jesus may be one of them, but it's not okay to say that the only way to the Father is through Jesus the Son who died for your sins. And I'm afraid that in this culture what we have is a group of Christians who have stopped traveling the main roads of culture. We've stopped walking down Interstate 40 to get to Knoxville and started taking the back road because we don't want to be ambushed. 
we don't want anybody to say anything to us anymore because we're just tired of fighting that fight. Or maybe we never fought that fight and we're afraid of what it might feel like to have to do that. And if we got to go on Interstate 40, we're going to go incognito. We're going to make sure we put on our world-looking outfit and, and we don't say anything about Jesus so nobody really has any idea whether we're a Christian or not. Can I just say that in my copy of God's Word, though, it says that if we're ashamed of him on earth, that he may be ashamed of us in front of his Father. In this time where it ain't cool to be a Christian, this is the time where Christians have to return to what they did in the book of Acts and stand up and be proud of Jesus Christ. And no longer conforming to the world but transforming the world around us by showing how Christ has transformed us. It might not be cool to be a Christian in the workplace. You may end up being the only one in the break room because nobody else will go eat lunch with that guy because he keeps talking about Jesus. But I would rather be in that break room with me and God than be the most popular man in the workplace. I can promise you that. The times of Shamgar were dangerous, but now let us look at the tool of Shamgar. Now, before Shamgar became judge, there was this dude, Ehud. And if you study on him, you'll find that this dude was an assassin. I'm talking about Ehud was quite the warrior. He was quite the deliverer. When you read his story, you think to yourself, that guy is a ninja. He had a specially crafted dagger that he would use to slay people and kill people. And he was definitely the deliverer of the people. I mean, this guy was slick. But then we get to Shamgar. And Shamgar had an ox goad. Kind of an unusual tool for a deliverer. Now, Miss Loretta, do we have a picture of our ox goad? An ox goad is a sharp, pointed I don't know how many of you guys have studied ancient warfare, but I'm going to guess in ancient warfare books you don't find where they say, and the ninja crafted a great pointed stick. Maybe a bow staff, maybe a spear, but not a sharp pointy stick. The ox goad essentially was around six to eight feet long, and you would carry it behind the plow, and if the ox got a little slow, you'd goad them, you'd poke them, and they'd pick up the pace. What I'm saying is Shamgar's a farmer. He's not a deliverer. He's not a warrior. He doesn't have a specially crafted ninja dagger like he who did. He's got a farm implement, a six or eight foot long stick with a point on it that's just sharp enough to poke an ox but not kill an ox because he wouldn't want to kill his ox. So it's not even a sharp, pointy stick. It's just a kind of sharp, pointy stick. And so we see a farmer with a farmer's tool. Seems like an unlikely deliverer, doesn't it? But the simple fact that is this. God can use a plow hand just as easily as he can use a warrior to do his work. God uses regular people with regular tools in their hands to do extraordinary things for his kingdom each and every day when those ordinary people just give their ordinary tools to God. Say, God, just use what I've got. Use me as a... He doesn't use uh, preachers and missionaries to do his work. 
More often than not, he uses a mechanic with a wrench in his hand to do his work. He uses a teacher in her classroom, a student in his class, an athlete on his team, a doctor with his medicine. He uses anyone where they're at with the tools they have to do his purpose if we're just willing to give those to him. Now Shamgar, it says that old Shamgar slew of the Philistines 600 men with his ox goat. Now I don't know exactly how things went down that day. I don't. The Bible doesn't tell us exactly how the battle went, but as any of you have been here any amount of time know, and as any of you that are here today are fixing to know, I suffer from a condition called, I can't sit still very long. And so when I read this verse, and I was walking around the church, because if I sit still very long, I go crazy, I was walking around and I was thinking about this battle, and so in my mind, in order for me to study this battle, I've got to think about this battle and imagine in my mind how things went down that day. All right, kind of becomes a movie in my mind. Maybe that's crazy. If it is, don't tell me. I, I'm happy being crazy all by myself. But in my mind, O Shamgar, one day O Shamgar was, was with his team of oxen and his plow, and he was on his way to his field. And I believe O Shamgar looked down at the mud that had gotten on his feet, and he picked the briars off his coat. And I believe O'Shamgar said, this is the last time I'm going to lead my team of oxen down a pig trail through the woods to get to the field that my daddy gave me as my inheritance. I'm not going to do it no more. I have been hiding from these Philistines. I've been going down this old muddy pig trail. I've broken my plow over and over and had to fix it on the side of the road. My ox goat is getting broken where I poke my oxen so much because they're having to go so far. And this is my field that my daddy gave me. It's my inheritance. And I ain't going the back road no more. I ain't hiding no more. And I believe the Spirit of God got on Shamgar about that time. And he stepped off that plow and he picked up the only thing he had. He said, I need something. Oh, this will do. And he picked up his ox gold and he walked right up in the thick of that interstate. And old Shamgar went to work on some Philistine noggin' folk. I mean, he just went to poking and swinging and poking and I don't know what an ox gold warfare looks like. But in my mind, it looks like one old dude with long hair. I don't know why Shamgar had long hair, but he had long hair in my head. And he's just a swinging that stick around. And them old Philistines keep coming. And they think if we flood this dude, we'll get him. And he just whacks one in the head. And old Shamgar took some Philistines out. I don't know how he did it, but I know Philistines were flying left and right. If you were standing there looking at that, you said, look at them Philistines fly. I don't know how it went down, but what I do know is that what was going on up on that interstate, it wasn't a display of excellent ox gold warfare. It wasn't a show of, of how a judge could use a farm implement as a weapon. I don't believe Shamgar jumped off the plow and said, boy, I'm glad my daddy trained me in the art of ancient ox gold warfare. 
I'm so glad that I've been training with this tool as a weapon my whole life. I believe on that road what happened was God used one of his people with a simple tool in his hand to defeat his foes and deliver his people. And let me tell you something. You might not think you have anything to offer to the battle against the world that surrounds you. You may be sitting here and you say, Brother Jason, I'm just a, I'm just a plumber. I'm just a concrete man. I'm just a mechanic. I'm just an electrician. But let me tell you something. God can use you where you're at to take mighty blows against Satan every day if you'll just give him the tools that are in your hand. If you'll just give him your lineman pliers. If you'll just give him your hacksaws. Teacher, if you'll just give him your lesson plan. Businessman, if you'll just give him your business plan. He will use you to make mighty blows against Satan every single day. You don't believe me? God used a man with an ox goad to slay 600 warriors. He can use the tools that you have. Let's look also, though. You don't think God can do mighty things? I want you to take a walk with me outside the gates of Jerusalem for just a second. Walk out those gates with me to a hill called Golgotha, an old skull-shaped hill. And I want you to peer through the midday darkness with me at that cross, that rough-cut Roman timber. It don't look like much of a weapon sitting there. I want you, when you leave here, you can look out the back on the hills in the back, and you'll see a replica of it up there, and it don't look like much of a tool, much of a weapon sitting there up on that hill. That man naked, strapped to that center cross, drowning in his own blood, he don't look like much of a warrior, does he? But you got to look just a little bit closer. Because that cross is a weapon, and that carpenter's son is a warrior. And in that weakness of that cross, God is accomplishing the greatest victory with that tool that don't look like a weapon and that warrior that don't look like much of a fighter. And friend, God can use anything as a weapon if a warrior will just give it to God. See, God, take my life. Let it be all for you. God can use that. How you use your tools can be the blow to the skull of the serpent the way that the Savior used what he had, just himself, in the hands of God on that hill to deliver all of us from our sin. So when we look at the little we know of Shamgar wrapped in the story of the lot we know about his God, first we see that the time was dangerous. The second, we see that the tool was unusual. But last, let's look at the triumph of Shamgar. Let's look at the victory of Shamgar because it, my friends, was undeniable. He, he's just a farmer with a farmer's tool, right? We, we, we've gone over that. Shamgar's just a farmer with a farmer's tool, but I'd say if you interviewed any Philistines up on that road, they'd say it looked like Rambo coming up through there. That ain't no farmer. He's tied that red bandana around his head, and here he comes. Ain't no way that's a farmer. That's a warrior, my friends. God used Shamgar to defeat the foes and deliver the people, and when it was done, that triumph 
was absolutely positively undeniable. There was no doubt the victory was hid. Now, don't you read faster than we're preaching here. It says he killed 600 men. He killed 600 men. One man killed 600 enemy combatants. For those of you that went to Watertown, that's 106 times. Okay? We'll make sure we all get on board. Those of you who went to Lebanon, that's a bunch. <laughs> Friends, that is absolutely remarkable. Don't overlook it. Don't get lost in the number now. It reminds me of a little story that we learned in Tennessee history about a, a man named Alvin C. York. Alvin C. York was one of the most decorated men, one of the most decorated army men from World War I. He was a Tennessean, by the way, for those of you that don't know. Alvin C. York was a Tennessean. He was a Christian. And at first, Alvin C. York didn't even want to go. He was drafted, and he, and he declined out because he said his religion wouldn't allow him to participate in violence. But one of his commanding officers convinced him of the worthiness of the cause, and Alvin C. York agreed to go to war. And in one battle, Alvin C. York almost single-handedly took out an entire German machine gun unit. And here's how he did it. It was down to him and just nine others as they'd been, been ambushed here. And old York finds him a good high spot and he gets his rifle out and he takes out 17 German machine gunners with his sniper rifle. And then some of the Germans caught where he was at and they stormed him and he killed six more with his pistol. And by the time it was done... He took 130 German soldiers prisoner. One man with just a few helpers who were laying watching some other prisoners managed to kill 17 machine gunners, six more with his pistol, and take 130 more prisoners. That's impressive, isn't it? Nobody would study Tennessee history and not call Alvin C. York an amazing warrior. But did you hear about Shamgar over in Judges chapter 3? Killed 600 men with an ox goad. Don't miss the point of this story, friends. It isn't that Shamgar was so talented at farm tool battle. It's that God can claim a great victory even when and especially when the odds seem to be stacked in the other direction. When people give him their tools completely, he can do things that you never imagined that he could do. And you know why God works in the impossible so often? I believe God, God heals the diseases that just nobody thought could be healed. And God delivers people that nobody thought could be delivered. And God saves people that, that everybody figured were a lost cause. And God does those things so that when it's done and the victory is claimed, you don't got no choice but to say that had to be God. That had to be God. Because you know what we do? If there's any way we can claim credit for it ourselves, we claim credit for it ourselves. When people walked up there on that hill and started counting all of them, they said, one, two, six hundred. They started counting bodies, and they said, six hundred. And I don't believe that there was not one soul that got up there and said, there's never been a greater ox gold warrior than Shamgar. Look at these six hundred Philistines. People had no choice but to look up there and say, even the greatest warrior couldn't have done this without God. 
Even the greatest warrior couldn't have done this without God. Even the strongest man couldn't have beat his addiction without God. Even the best doctor couldn't have healed this disease without God. Even the greatest preacher couldn't preach a sermon that would save that man except God. And God does these things because in anything that he does, our position is to stand and say to God, be the glory. Great things he hath done. He hath delivered me. When I wasn't worthy, he has delivered you. When you were not worthy, he's used a farmer with a farm tool to slay 600 Philistines. And the end of that verse says that it delivered Israel. He didn't just deliver himself. He delivered the people of God with an ox goat. And that is nothing but the glory of God on display there on that interstate. We want to talk about outnumbered. You imagine if Shamgar strolled up that hill and started to see just how many Philistines was up there, he thought, whoa. I don't think he did. But maybe you feel outnumbered. You feel like you're outnumbered. You're, you're overpowered. There's no way you could turn the tide of your life. There's no way that you could change what's going on in your world. You feel outnumbered in your office. You feel outnumbered in your school, in your workplace. Maybe in your own family you feel outnumbered. You don't feel like you can praise Jesus. It's easy to talk about Jesus in your Sunday school class at Rocky Valley, but it's hard to talk about him when you get home and your cousin who's atheist is there. When your lost friend comes over and you don't want to be the one that pushes them away talking about Jesus too much. But can I just take you back to Golgotha one more time? And I want you to look at those crosses again. And that one in the middle, that one cross right there in the middle, that guy's outnumbered. Everybody is against him as he hangs there on that cross. You see him hanging there with nobody to fight for him. Even his own disciples, some of which denying him, most of which absent. And there he is, nobody physically on this earth to fight for him. But amidst the things that you can see, think about the things that you can't see that are going on as the demon forces circle and snicker. Jesus is dying. You ain't so high and mighty now on that tree, are you, Jesus? Satan, no doubt, shrilling victory at the top of his lungs. As Jesus hang there by himself, Forsaken even by God the Father. But let me tell you something that's going on there, friend. In the weakness of that cross, as Satan shrills victory, God is using his son to crush the skull of the serpent like he said he would do in Genesis. He's doing exactly what he said he was going to do and he's using Jesus on that cross to do it. And because Jesus is sitting there outnumbered, allowing himself to be used, we have forgiveness of sins today. All of mankind can be forgiven of their sin debt because of Jesus being used by God in that moment. You tell me you're outnumbered. Let me tell you something as we close. God plus nothing is more than enough to defeat whatever you're battling. So surely God plus you and your ox goat 
is more than enough to handle whatever you got going on if you'll put that ox goat in the hands of the Father. If you'll put your life in the hands of Jesus and let him use you. Maybe you're here this morning and you say, Brother, I haven't been using my tools for the kingdom of God the way that I should. I, I felt defeated. I felt like I couldn't. I, I knew that God had enabled me, but it just hasn't felt the same. I haven't felt like I could be used at and I've been keeping my ox gold in the plow. I haven't been getting it out. Come this morning and, and just give it all to God. Get your tools back out and use them because God still has a purpose for you wherever you're at with whatever you've got. Maybe you're here and you say, I can't, seem to, I can't seem to get rid of these habits. I can't seem to get rid of these problems. They just seem to haunt me. This bad attitude, this addiction, this sin in my life, this temptation that I deal with, I can't seem to get rid of it. Won't you come this morning and give it to God? If he used one man with an ox gold to slay 600 Philistines, do you not think he can handle your addiction? Do you not think he can handle your temptation? And maybe you're here this morning and you're still looking to Calvary and you're saying, I've never accepted that Savior sitting in the middle of those three crosses. I've never accepted that free gift that he was there dying for that I might be forgiven of my sin. Won't you come this morning and let's talk about that first step of salvation. Give your life to the God, the guy with the ox goat. Let's pray. Father God, God, we just stand in awe that the very same God who took Shamgar's ox goat and slay 600 Philistines, that very same God resides in this place right now. God, that is just awe-inspiring, Lord. But it's also strengthening in the fact to know that God, if you could use Shamgar, you can use me. God, you can use anyone here this morning to do a mighty work for you with the tools that they already have. They'll just come and give them to you. So God, in this house this morning, if there's someone that needs to lay a burden at your feet, that they might be able to pick up their tool and go to work for you, God. Go to work in your church, in your workplace, wherever they're at, God. You give them the conviction and the strength to lay that burden down and fully worship the God of the guy with the ox goad. God, if there be one here this morning who doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, who's never experienced the power and the majesty of your grace, God, would you please convict them till they have no choice but to step out and follow you. And it's in your precious heavenly saving name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Thanks again for joining in. We sincerely hope that this has blessed you in some way. If you have any further questions, feel free to give us a call or check us out on the web at www.rockyvalleybaptist.org. Thank you and have a blessed day. Thanks again for joining in. We sincerely hope that this has blessed you in some way. If you have any further questions, feel free to give us a call or check us out on the web at www.rockyvalleybaptist.org. Thank you and have a blessed day.
Thanks again for joining in. We sincerely hope that this has blessed you in some way. If you have any further questions, feel free to give us a call or check us out on the web at www.rockyvalleybaptist.org. Thank you and have a blessed day. Thanks again for joining in. We sincerely hope that this has blessed you in some way. If you have any further questions, feel free to give us a call or check us out on the web at www.rockyvalleybaptist.org. Thank you and have a blessed day. Thanks again for joining in. We sincerely hope that this has blessed you in some way. If you have any further questions, feel free to give us a call or check us out on the web at www.rockyvalleybaptist.org. Thank you and have a blessed day. Thanks again for joining in. We sincerely hope that this has blessed you in some way. If you have any further questions, feel free to give us a call or check us out on the web at www.rockyvalleybaptist.org. Thank you and have a blessed day. Thanks again for joining in. We sincerely hope that this has blessed you in some way. If you have any further questions, feel free to give us a call or check us out on the web at www.rockyvalleybaptist.org.